a joke. Do you guys like jokes? Okay, I need you to give me energy. You guys like jokes? Okay, all right, so let me explain first to you, though, that I'm really, really bad at telling jokes. I am not good at it. There's two things I'm horrible at. One, I'm a youth pastor, and I cannot, for the life of me, explain a game. And games is what you play a lot of times in youth group. You play a game, you explain it. Terrible at it. So I always try to get somebody else to do it. I got Kelvin, who's my, my helper, and he's going to help me with games. And I said, I need your help. I definitely need your help because I'm bad at that. Also, I'm really bad at telling jokes. So I'm going to read this joke to you. Because even if it's bad, and even if it's not that funny, I want you guys to laugh and make me feel good, okay? All right. So one day, two old country pastors were holding up signs at the edge of the road. One of them was holding up a sign that read, The end is near. The other one was holding a sign that said, turn around before it's too late. Soon a car came by, slowed down, and the driver yelled out the window, leave us alone, you religious nuts, and then quickly sped off. A few moments later, the pastors heard screeching tires and a great big splash, and the one pastor looked at the other pastor and said, do you think maybe we should just put on the signs, the bridge is out? Okay. So little joke for you. Um, Sometimes, you know, the thing is, though, we might not realize that we're headed in the wrong direction. A lot of times, we just don't realize we're going the wrong way until it's too late. Sometimes, we need to be told by somebody that the way we're going could actually cause us a lot more problems. And sometimes, we actually need to be mindful of those people that we would maybe write off and think they couldn't possibly tell me anything that I need to know. You can't write them off. You have to actually listen to them. You know, there's an old saying that says even a clock is right twice. A broken clock is right twice during the day. So I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about preparing. A lot of times what happens is we don't really prepare for things in life. We don't really think about the fact that, you know, our lives could be going off the rails or we could be making bad choices. You know, preparation is super important in all areas of your life. I think any of us have ever done anything for, you know, to try to prepare something or or do something, remodeling, fixing something up, we know that we have to have preparation first. I mean, you don't start preparing and, I mean, painting a wall unless you prepare first, right? You have to prime the wall. Otherwise, what happens is you keep putting paint on and the wall keeps sucking it up and you don't get the paint going on smoothly. You know, you don't start baking a cake unless you grease the pan first because otherwise no one's eating the cake. You know, it's just going to stick in there, and it's not going to be so good. You don't go run a marathon unless you prepared yourself for it, unless, you know, you're willing to die because you're going to get about, like, you know, four or five miles, your heart's going to explode, and you're going to die. So, you know, the thing is, you want to prepare, right? You also don't start building a house without preparing. You know, you want to get all the the materials together. You want to count the cost. You want to see what it's going to take and get a plan, and get a blueprint, and, you know, have the money, and all the things that you need to finish the job. Those things are so necessary that we need to actually prepare for the things that we want to have happen in our life. Now, most of us know that if we've ever jumped in something, usually doesn't go that well for us. If we kind of just jump in, anybody out there have bad relationships in your past? You you just jump in, you think, this will all go great, and then before long, it nose dives and things are bad. So a lot of us, though, sadly, are not really good, that good at preparation. A lot of us really like to just start. I have that problem sometimes, you know. I'll be telling my husband, we should do this. We should do this on the house. And then he'll start telling me all the things we have to do first. I'm like, oh, forget it. <laughs> 
Forget it. Let's not do that then. That's going to be way too much work and way too much time. I want the quick and easy. I want the quick finish, you know. But I think that's a lot of us. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people like to have things take place quickly and easily. We don't like to prepare. We don't like anything that's going to take more time or energy or work to to do the things that we need to do. I mean, like if you look at us in society, I mean, most of us, we don't really want to work for the next 50 years. We all wish that we could just win the lotto, right? We want to win the lotto. We want to, like, have the money. We don't want to have to put in the day-to-day drudgery of going to work and, you know, coming home, taking a shower, being exhausted, No, you got to go back. You know, we don't want that. We'd rather win the lotto. You know, we all want people to be there for us. Even if we've never really been there for those people, you know, when it, it comes down to when you're going through a tough time, you want all those people to be there for you. But if you didn't really prepare and you didn't plan and you didn't give those people time, then a lot of times those people aren't there for us. We all want to live healthy, great, long lives, but a lot of us, we don't eat or exercise in the way that we should. We haven't prepared ourselves for that future. We all want forgiveness from God, for sure. We want his love, even sometimes when we have never even said we're really sorry for the things that we've done. Things in our lives that we know that haven't pleased God at all. So today I want to talk to you about a guy named John. And it was a guy that was actually, his whole mission was to tell people to be prepared. To prepare themselves And his ministry is really important. His ministry is actually mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And actually, his mission was chosen for him long before he was ever even born. This mission was given to him. And it's a a fulfillment of really a prophecy that took place in the Old Testament a long, long time ago in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah, it says in 43, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John's whole message was preparation. Like I said, we don't really want to prepare. A lot of times we like to jump right into something. We don't want to take the time to prepare ourselves for what it is that we want to do eventually. And I think John was this amazing guy that came, and he was telling everyone, you need to prepare a place. You need to prepare your heart. You need to prepare your life about what is going to take place when Jesus shows up. So Jesus was going to come, but John came first. And he says, I'm going to prepare the people to receive him. And I think if you look at John, you can see that he was an odd character. He was one of those people that definitely got your attention. You know, I think he wasn't one of those people that looked everything like it was put together and great. I think he probably was a little bit scary. Because if you look at, you know, everyone always thinks that people are going to come in, they're going to be perfectly, you know, cleaned up, hair perfectly quaffed and, you know, looking great. And John was none of those things. I love John. And I will tell you, I'm married to a John. I've got a son named John. I got a grandson named John. I love John. Hard for me to forget John. Can't forget John. But I definitely want to tell you, you need to not forget this John. And that's what I want to explain to you today. Matthew 3, 4 through 6 says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair And he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and all of Judea and all over Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now you're probably out there saying, oh, that John. I know that John. That's John the Baptist. That makes sense. Okay, I get it. He's John the Baptist. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people don't really realize that 
John's message was baptism. And this is why we want you guys to understand, if you've never been baptized, it's really important for you. John's message was baptism, but it wasn't just baptism. His message was much, much bigger than that. It wasn't just the idea, you need to be dunked. You need to go in the water, you need to be dunked. It was the idea that you need to prepare your hearts for baptism. You need to prepare your hearts to receive Jesus and everything that he wants to do for you and everything he wants to give you. It's this idea that we would make room in our hearts for Jesus. Now, I always say that I liken Jesus and the idea that once we come to know him, what happens is Jesus is kind of like sitting in a big old recliner, big old recliner, sitting back, relaxing. He's got his drink, all the room around him that he can spare. He's just sitting there free and easy. Unfortunately, though, a lot of people try to push Jesus into their heart, and he's in there all scrunched up in this little tiny chair, and he's trying to make room. And God said when he sent John, he says, prepare your hearts. Make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus to live in your heart. Unfortunately, a lot of us, though, don't prepare enough. What we do instead is we try to keep all the things that are still living in our hearts, all the things that we know aren't so good, aren't so great, we try to let them live inside where Jesus lives. And he's all tight and bound up. And he's not living large like he needs to be. Like I said, John's message was much, much bigger than just being dunked. It was preparation for salvation. And this is an old, and I'm sure you're thinking, wow, old, out-of-date term, Deb. It's about repentance. It's about repentance. It's the idea that we do need to repent. And if you look at what repent means, it means just to change. That we would turn 180 degrees from the way that we were living and we would try to live in a different way. That we'd repent of our sins. That we would ask God to forgive us and make room for him. Now, I think a lot of people want to just skip that part. A lot of people would rather just skip it and just say, get on with the dunking. I just want to get on with the donkey, and I just want to do this because, you know, I'm supposed to. Cameron just said, you know, we're we're supposed to do it. Jesus said. There's two things that he says for us to do specifically. One, that we should take communion in remembrance of him. And two, that we should be baptized like him. He himself was baptized, and he tells us to do it. So there's two things that he says. But, you know, the thing is a lot of times we don't want to do the preparation work. We just want to jump in and do these things because we think we like to hurry it along. We want to skip ahead. We don't want to prepare too much because, you know, we all are looking for that fast, quick fix in our lives. And I'm sure some of you out there have probably come to a church service before. I know I did in the past before I truly got what God wanted for me. And I tried to jump ahead. I tried to jump ahead. I tried to be like, yes, I want everything that Jesus has for me. I want to receive everything. But I wasn't really ready. I wasn't really prepared to let Jesus take over my heart. It was more about keeping little things inside and thinking, no, no, I want room for that too. I want room for this. I don't necessarily want Jesus to have all of my heart. You know, I wasn't prepared correctly. The problem is, though, when we skip repentance, man, it's not going to work. It's just like greasing that pan or it's just like priming that wall. Salvation, it can be ours, but you know what? You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle so much. You're going to just like, it's going to be a fight. You're going to be like trying to make it. And you are just going to be feeling like you're walking and and just sinking in quicksand. There's something about really making room and preparing your hearts for Jesus that honestly makes this lightness in us. This freedom 
following him. I think what happens is we try to jump ahead and we don't prepare ourselves. What happens is we make a mess of things. And I think I've met those people for so many years, and I can tell you after 25 years of following after Jesus, I've watched those people say that they wanted salvation. They wanted to follow after God. They try to jump ahead, and what happens, they've never really made room. They never really prepared their hearts. And they're still struggling with those same things over and over again. But they're still trying to say that they're following God. And what happens, they feel like these square peg in a round hole, a round peg in a square hole. They can't fit in. They just don't feel good about themselves anywhere. There's no freedom. There's no joy. There's no nothing. And what they'll do is they'll tell you, it's like, I follow that whole Jesus thing, and it doesn't work. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't follow Jesus because you never prepared your heart. You never planned for salvation. You never decided to make room for, for God in your heart. You just tried to jump ahead. You know, the thing is, there's this, there's this idea. If you ever see a, like a, a ball, but you never see one right before it goes out and it does that thing where it goes super bright. And it's like, wow, look at the light it's putting off. It's doing its job tenfold. But then what happens? Out. It went supernova. And then burned out. I think that's what happens in a lot of us that try to jump ahead in Christianity. That don't prepare our hearts for salvation. Don't really prepare to give up and repent of things. But when it happens is we, we jump high and we, we're all, yeah, 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 Jesus. But then all of a sudden life starts getting crazy. Sins we're not giving up gets us all mired down. We go supernova for a second and then we burn out. Preparation is key to salvation. You know, I think we can hear this wonderful message of forgiveness, and we can willingly jump into the water, we can be baptized, but if we haven't truly prepared ourselves through repentance, all that's going to happen, guys, is you're going to go in a dry center, and you're going to get out a wet center. Nothing's going to take place. See, it's not the water. It's not the water that's going to do this magical thing. It's like, you know what? It's just city of LaSalle water. That's all it is. It's not like we like get some holy stuff thrown in there and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, look at me. It's you that will make the difference of whether or not it's effective. It's whether or not you decided today or if you've decided in your past, if you've, if you've come to know Christ, if you decided that you are preparing your hearts for what baptism is going to do in your life. So John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the nation of Israel to receive Jesus, the Lamb of God. He says when Jesus shows up, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They waited for this so long. And he says, This is what you guys have been waiting for. And what he did then is he introduces Jesus to him, but he then says, You guys need to repent. You guys need to give up your sins. You guys need to start following after God in the way you're supposed to. And you need to prove the fact that you're doing it by being baptized, and then ch- live changed lives. So the problem is a lot of people jump in the baptism tank, and nothing changes. Nothing. That's not how we're supposed to be. Jesus himself referred to John as a prophet. And a prophet, what he was then and what he still is now, is a person who's not afraid to offend somebody. We want to be prophets here at X Church. We want to be those people who are telling people what's right and the way we should follow after God, biblically speaking, what the Bible says. If it offends people, it offends people. It's okay. People have been offended by Christ for years. We 
you look at those old prophets, I mean, the old pastors and stuff like that, it's like, they're crazy, they're telling people the end is near and all this, but you know, their message was always true. The end is near. And we do need to change. So Jesus, like I said, he understood that John was a prophet. When John arrived, there hadn't been a prophet in Israel in that area for over 400 years. And when he does, he shows up this completely different expected person. You know, what he does is like this amazing thing. Is he, he walks up to these people and he says, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. They think that they were good enough. But he says, you're not. You're not. You know, the thing is, they, they thought they were all right with God. And what John said was, no, you're sinful. And you need to repent. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You need to turn from your sins. Matthew 3, 1 through 6 says, As in those days John the Baptist came to Judea wilderness, began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, it's only nearer today than it was yesterday. You know, everyone always liked to say, Oh, look, at you know, people have been saying Jesus is coming back and the kingdom of heaven is near. Every day it gets a little closer. So we have to remember... People made fun of Noah, too. I mean, uh, Mo- yeah, Noah, right? I don't know why I'm blanking. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So, you know, people have made fun of him, all the things that he did. We have to remember that all these people and these pastors in the past that have said Jesus is coming back for us, it's only one day closer. But his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all of the Jordan River and Valley were out to see and hear John. And when he confessed their sins, when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John's message wasn't just be baptized. It was prepare your hearts. And when John actually told those people, he says, you're not good enough the way you are, he says that they needed to prepare Give up your sins, start following after God. And then he says, after you do that, after you confess, then we can baptize you. And I know this repentance idea, it sounds like fire and brimstone. It's that hell fire message that people don't really like to hear about. But you know, it is the truth. And it's exactly what we need to hear. I think all of us want to have us hear a good little, you know, message that we feel good about ourselves and walk out. But you know, sometimes the best thing that you can do for somebody is tell them, you're going the wrong way. This is not going to go well for you if you continue on the path that you're going to make. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. A pastor is a spiritual overseer. We're supposed to encourage you, but we're supposed to rebuke you. We're supposed to also challenge you to do better. We can come in here every day and tell you, oh, you're great. But some of us, you know you're not great. You know you're failing. You know you're making mistakes. You know that the fact that you didn't give up certain things in your life and they're causing you struggles. Repentance is a tough, tough word. But it's important for us to understand that we need to do it. I think what happens is if we talk only about God's love and his forgiveness, what, what it is is we're, we're actually shortchanging people of the amazing message of God. Because if you think about the fact that how much of a sinner you are, how much of a sinner I have been, And think, God loved me even then. Even when I'm a failure and I'm a fault. He doesn't love people just when they get on the right path and they do everything right. 
He doesn't only love the Billy Grahams of this world. He loves the most vile creature ever. Those that mocked him, insulted him, spit at him. Ones that just thought, these people are crazy. I did that. I went to church and I thought, these people are crazy. They're all raising their hand. They're jumping up and down. I don't understand it. I just think they're nuts. God saw me do that and he still chased after me. He loved me. I think we shortchange people when we tell people that it's okay, that, you know, it's only when you're good that God loves you. We need to tell them sometimes you're a sinner and God still loves you. God still loves you. He wants you to have a better future. I think just like those old pastors, we need to be mindful sometimes to tell people you're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong path. It's not going to work well for you at all. Just last week, we kind of mentioned in a, in a message the fact that um, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, when everyone wanted to stone her to death, there was two things that was said to her, not just one. And it says, John, in 8, 4 through 11, it says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I always say it's kind of funny, isn't it? They only brought the woman. They only brought her up. <laughs> there was somebody involved, you know, someone else, but... We're going to take her out there. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus offers us forgiveness. He says, I don't condemn you to death. I don't condemn you at all. But he says, Go and sin no more. See, we keep trying to put this forgiveness in but leave out this whole part of go and sin no more. We have to get both in the place to make it work, guys. We need to repent. Like I said, it's an old-fashioned word, and people make fun of it, but it is so, so true and so relevant for us to understand. When we get serious about repentance, our life should start to look different. We shouldn't look like the same people we always were before. And I think there's some people that I've watched, they've never changed. They're the same people they've always, always, always been. Nothing, they've never given up certain things, they're still doing the same things, they still think the same way, they still act the same way, they still talk the same way. And I'm not saying you have to look all perfect and together, but I do think there should be some fruit that you're producing, some, something different in your life that starts to show where somebody might actually look at you and say, There's something a little different about you. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something a little different. Maybe there's something on your face. Maybe you're a person walking around just kind of angry all the time and really frustrated the world and everyone after a while says, you look a little softer. Maybe like you're not quite as angry as you used to be. You know, maybe you have more joy than you've ever shown before. There's something different about you. The one thing that John the Baptist did was he told people that you can't fool God. And see, I think we think that we can. 
I think somehow we think that we can say certain words or we can, you know, say a certain thing and when we get in church or act a certain way that somehow we're fooling God into believing that we're different people. God knows better. He can see in our hearts. He can see our thoughts. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. And I think it's, it's so crazy how we try to believe in our mind that we, somehow we can fool God into believing that we're changed. One of the things that John did was he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they needed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And like I said, that fruit, there's something different about you that you produced. And what, I did, what he did was he told them that they weren't good enough just because they were Jewish, just because they were sons of Abraham. And I think this is so important because I think it bears repeating. None of yous out there are good enough just because you're a Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, AG, or even the word Christian. Just because you call yourself that doesn't mean you're good enough. It's not the label. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside that's going to make the difference. It's the fruit that you start to produce. I think the reason why we don't become so much more effective in our families and, and maybe the people that we come in contact with, the friends and the people, our coworkers, and there's nothing that they're, they're seeing different in you, so there's nothing that would draw them to Christ. There's no fruit. You're the same people you've always, always, always been. Bearing fruit is important. I don't know how many of you guys out there have always wondered. I mean, there's some people always that don't know exactly where we got our name, X Church. And like we've said before, the idea is it's, it's off the, the first church, really, after Jesus died and was resurrected. It's the first church that came together, and it's X-A-C-T-S. But we decided we were going to name the church X-A-X. And I can tell you that no one forgets it. No one forgets the name Acts Church, because everyone's like, hmm, what does that mean? Well, our, our name comes from John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist's words, and it's exactly what we need to do. It's a church. Really, this church is built on John the Baptist's words. This is why we feel it's so important for you to grasp this and get hold of this. Matthew 3, 7 through 10, it says, but when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee of the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you repented of your sins and you turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for God can create children of Abraham. Oh, I'm sorry, we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. That's where we get the name Acts Church. And it sounds pretty hardcore, doesn't it? Man, if you're not producing fruit, you're, you know what you are? Firewood. You're firewood. If you're not doing what it takes to produce fruit, you are nothing but firewood in the eyes of God. Trees that don't produce fruit, they're worthless. You have to produce fruit. Even a tree that doesn't develop fruit that you eat still produces something, doesn't it? You still see those little helicopters fly off, or the little things that fall. It's the fruit of the tree. It's producing something. You know, God's always looking for those that he can build on, bless, keep, 
He wants those that are going to produce fruit that can go on and develop more and more and more, more around him. That's what he wants us to be. Not these that just kind of suck up and take everything, but those that produce fruit. There are some trees, man, that you can water and you can water and you can water and you can give them so much and nothing happens. You give them a lot of attention. You know, you're trimming the branches. You're doing everything just, you know, thinking what you can do and have them in the sun. They're getting all the sun and still nothing, still nothing, no fruit. What they do is they just take up space. They're just taking up water. They're just taking up sun. They're shading the plants that need to be in the sun. So what God says instead is cut them down and make room for those that are going to actually grow, that are going to produce fruit. John the Baptist continues on in Matthew 3, 11 and 12. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Important. Get that? I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Wheat and chaff, same color. And they grew up alongside of each other. But one is going to be used, one's going to be burned up. He won't use the chaff. You know, I, I think that we just a lot of times, like I said, we want to jump ahead. We want to jump ahead. We want to just do those things that we think is going to make a difference. And You know, okay, I've seen people come to Christ and things work better for them, so I'm just going to jump right in and do this. But we need to prepare our hearts and we need idea. The idea has to be there that we actually repent, that we change, that we give up sins in our lives and we make room for God instead. You know, there's a, there's a phrase kind of in our society today. I'm sure you guys have heard it. And maybe some of you guys have already used it. And it's this phrase called, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I'm sure you've heard it. How many guys have heard that? Yes. Well, what it is is actually used when someone wants to apologize, but really not apologize. Sounds good. It sounds like an apology, but it's really not an apology. What it is is this idea that you would say something, but yet you stand by your behavior. You stand by your words. Even if it said something that was offensive or, or did something or caused people harm, it's like, sorry, but I'm not sorry. I stand by everything I did. Well, let me explain to you. Sorry, not sorry will not work with God. Sorry, not sorry is exactly what people have done for years when they've jumped in that baptism tank. And it didn't work. Nothing changed in them. They were nothing but wet sinners. That's all they were, wet not even good enough for firewood. How crazy is that? But a lot of people, like, they just don't understand. They, they keep standing by this behavior and they think it's going to make a difference and it doesn't work. Instead, what we need to do is we need to be honest before God. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows everything about you. What we need to do is we need to be honest with God about our failings and just say, yeah, I messed up. I messed up. You're not going to be perfect. Cameron mentioned at the beginning, we're never going to be perfect. The only way we're going to be perfect is when we someday reach perfection, we reach Jesus in eternity. But I will tell you, you guys are struggling harder than you need it to be. If you make room for Jesus, you're going to have a lot better life here on this world. 
You're going to be so much easier. Instead of sinking in quicksand and constantly stumbling over yourselves, you're going to find that you can live a life that's more filled with joy and abundance because he wants you to live with this freedom. And instead, because we have all these sinful things and these trappings, we're just bound up and we can't, we can't go on in our lives like we need to. I want to give you an opportunity today to confess your sins to God. You know, these people that came and stood before John the Baptist, they all came down by the water. And when they were there, they actually all publicly confessed their sins in front of each other. You know how hard it would be in front of your neighbor to say, yeah, I steal from my neighbor. Yeah. I look at my neighbor and his wife and I think, hot. These people said some real, true confession sins in front of each other. We live this life today in our society that we all want to pretend like we're living this great, wonderful life, that none of us are failures and none of us are flawed. We know deep down we're messed up, that we have things that we need to get straight before God. All of us do. I really want to give you an opportunity today to really just let God shine the light. You know, his Holy Spirit says what he does is he shines the light on us. And if you open up your heart to him, he'll actually pinpoint and shine his light on some things that maybe you thought were okay. He says aren't so okay. You know, maybe some sins that you've kind of held on to a little bit in in your life. And, you know, he says, no, you need to give that up. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The idea that your lives would change, that you could actually start to be more productive in your life and reaching others for Christ. I'm going to go down, and I'm going to be up front. Um, I'm going to pray for people. But if you yourself are going through something, if you know that there's sins that you need, you know, we're so afraid to be embarrassed. You know, following after Christ, guys, be prepared. You're going to look different. You're going to be different than the world. Be willing to come, maybe come to the altar. Stand before God. Say, I need your help. Submit yourself to him. You know, there's this idea of submission is so important that we would actually come to know God and let him really just change us, give him everything about us that he could actually make us over and make us new. If you're not comfortable with coming forward, you can sit in your seats and Grant's going to play and continue on playing for a little while. I don't want you just to walk out. See, a lot of people do that all the time. You hear a message, you walk out and think, I'll be all right. But, you know, this could be the opportunity that you're supposed to have that God's going to do something great in your life. He's going to show something that you need to change, something that you need to repent of. So really just an opportunity to sit and let God just work on your heart. I kind of went in with this idea. Um, One of John's messages is we need to never forget. Don't forget, John. John's message, not just baptism, it's repentance. Repent and be baptized. And I want to say the idea that without repentance, there truly can be no pardon. If you've not got rid of the sins in your life, truly you cannot be pardoned. It isn't going to work that way. There's an old story. It says, seven years ago, a murderer was sentenced to death. The murderer's brother, to whom the state was deeply indebted for former service, asked the governor of the state for his brother's pardon. And the pardon was granted, and the man visited his brother with the pardon in his pocket. What would you do, he said to him, if you did receive a pardon? 
His brother said, the first thing I would do is I'd track down that judge who sentenced me and I'd kill him. And then I'd track down the chief witness and I'd kill him too. The brother just looked at him, got up, walked away, kept the pardon in his pocket and said, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve to be pardoned because his heart is still evil and wants to follow that path instead. He didn't deserve to be forgiven. He didn't deserve to receive a pardon. That's what we need to remember ourselves. Do we deserve that pardon? Have we really asked God to change our hearts? And have we given up those things that we know we're holding dear a little too tight and we're not making room for Jesus? I want to pray for you. I don't know if there's anybody out there that's never, ever accepted Jesus as your Savior, but if you guys would just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to give somebody an opportunity if they've never um, accepted Jesus as your Savior, if that's something that you need to do. Or maybe you know you really didn't mean it, but today there's something inside you that kind of thinks, yeah, I need to, I need to recommit my life. I need to change some things about myself. If that's you, can you just raise your hand so we can see? If there's anybody out there that needs salvation. Okay, I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you over there. I see you back there. All right. Well, I just really want you guys to just repeat after me a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. We just ask, Lord, that you become king of our life. Help us to repent of our sins and follow after you. Amen. If you've already accepted Jesus, but you know there's things in your your heart that you've not really removed, things that you're holding a little too tight to, I really just want you to sit here for a little bit, let God work on it, repent of them, ask him to forgive you. And then move on. If you've done that and you've never been baptized, if you've never been baptized like Cameron said, do it. Do it, do it, do it. If you were baptized before and you know you didn't mean it, do it again. If you know you mean it now. Thank you for being here.